Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. I am so happy to have you back here for another episode of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow. If you're new, hey, welcome. I'm so, I'm so happy that you're here with us. I truly, truly am. I love doing this podcast. It is so fun for me to be able to talk to all these different people. It renews my sense of hope. It, it makes me the happiest person on the planet because I'm like, oh my gosh, God, you have so many good people in this world. Thank you for letting me talk to a few of them and then sharing them with so many people. This is wonderful. These two people that I have on today, Dr. Greg and his wife, Barbara Patero, are another wonderful example of people who are just doing good and doing something beautiful in the world. We're going to get to them in just a minute. But before that, I want to remind you of just a couple things. One, make sure you go to the link for Lux University, LuxU, to make sure that you get on the wait list to see when registration opens. And if registration closes, by the time you listen to this, get on the wait list. You know when we open that back up again. We only open up registration twice a year. LuxU is an online Catholic membership site for women to help us know the faith, be inspired, and then share the faith. The Catholic Church, or the, the largest group inside the Catholic Church, my friends, is the laity. And of the laity, women comprise the majority of it. And so I want through LuxU to help inform you of the faith, to know the faith, to be inspired by it, to feel empowered by it so that you can become truly the leader that God has made you to be in this world. We need that. We need to step up and be the leaders we've been made to be, especially when we are the majority inside the Catholic Church. So that is LuxU. Go ahead and click on the link if you can find out more. The other two announcements I want to make really quickly is one, I am leading a pilgrimage to Italy June 2020. My co-leader in this is Father Michael O'Loughlin. He's a Byzantine Catholic priest and one of my best friends. He's also the host of the very popular Catholic podcast called Catholic Stuff You Should Know. And so he and I lead these pilgrimages every other year or so. So this upcoming year, June 2020, is our year to lead one. And we're going back to Italy. We're going to hit all of the main sites. It's going to be so amazing. We're going to do Rome and Assisi and San Giovanni Rotondo. So we're going to hit all of these great saints. I mean, there's so much in Italy. You can keep going back and back to the same cities and you're still like immersed in something brand new. But what I really like about what we've added on to this pilgrimage is that after visiting Padre Pio, we're going to take a little jaunt over to the other side of Italy, and we're going to experience the Amalfi Coast. So we will be leading you through a beautiful spiritual retreat, all of those wonderful things, all of how God's going to talk to you and be with you, and how the saints are going to be with you throughout this entire process. And then you get to time for you get some time for like some physical respite, like actual like vacation mood. Oh, I'm really excited about that piece because a lot of times you go into these pilgrimages and you're so inundated with all of this amazing spiritual stuff, and you need time to process. So we're going to put you in one of the most beautiful places in the world, the Amalfi Coast, and let you just unpack, let you lay out there on the beach if you want, take a boat ride if you like, and we're going to spend some time on the Amalfi Coast before we head back to Rome and finish up the pilgrimage. So you can click on the pilgrimage tab to find out all of the details and the information. And just so you know, all you got to do to reserve your spot is put down your deposit and your name, and then you can make payments to the tour company, you know, from now until the time that we head out so that you can, you know, financially plan that trip for yourself. It'd be an amazing gift for yourself or for someone else, mother-daughter trip. We have so many amazing people that come on this. It's open to everybody, families included. So take a look, see if it's right for you and come with us to Italy. And the last, the last announcement I want to make is that we have created a Patreon page for this podcast. No good work is ever done alone. I love this podcast. I hope that you get that from the experience when you listen to me. I mean, I love 
<laughs> I love doing this for you. I love it. I have to, <laughs> I, you know, schlub out my kids to somebody else so I can have the house quiet because we don't have like an actual office separate from the house, which is, which is just fine. But I want to do more. And I feel like God's calling us to do more in this podcast. So we're looking for support to come together. So I need your help to do that. And what exactly we want to do, if you're, if you're asking, which you should, is that we want to actually create a video long-form conversation podcast. So we would like to create something where we actually have a nice video for you, where you can watch this, where we can go in-depth in conversation with our guest. We can go deeper than what we do in our in our 30 or sometimes 40-minute conversations. So we want to do that, and to do that, we need support. It's just plain and simple. You can't get around it. And so we're looking for support. And so you can join on a variety of different tiers to become a patron of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. And you know, you know, if you know me, you know that I love The Office. So all of the tiers are named after a character in The Office. So we've got from like Stanley Hudson to Kelly Kelly Kapoor to Jim Halpert to Michael Scott. There's even a wild and crazy one, Robert California, because he's insane. So he gets an insane tier. But either way, just for fun, go ahead and take a look at the tiers because they're they're really fun. (laughs) They're really fun to look at. And then all of the tiers have something. So there's like something I'm going to give you on top of the fact of, of, of you helping the podcast out by donating your resources as well. So like for instance, at the Jim Halper tier, you'll get a variety of, of things. One of them is a beautifully crafted do something beautiful coffee mug. It is it is really beautiful. I'm really proud of this one and the design of everything. It's, it's just just fantastic. And so that's one of the things you get. These are not things I'm selling publicly. This is just for my patrons. So just so you know, if you want some of these exclusive podcast swag items, then go to the Patreon tab in the show notes and check it out. Okay. Okay. Now we are on to a fabulous couple Dr. Greg and his wife, Barbara Botero, they are talking to us today about a topic that would normally scare me. Like if I heard this topic, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. And I'll tell you why in a minute, but we're talking about, they wrote this book together about like how your kids can like, you know, sit like a saint. And when I heard that, I'm like, oh, forget it. This is not for me. I ain't listening to this. Because I'm gonna tell you something right now. My kids, they sit like sinners. They're they're just they're insane. They are crazy at every level. I'm not exaggerating at all. I love my children, would die for them, but they are not the they are not the children in the front pew of church. I've seen these families I know as possible who sit there quietly. For whatever reason, my children don't do that. Even by threats of force, they just can't possibly remain still. So to hear the, a book that's called this, my first thing was, oh my gosh, it's impossible. This is impossible for me. And maybe you're a new mom or maybe not a new mom, but maybe you got kids like this as well. And you're hearing this and you're like, yep, Leah, me too. Well, they surprised me. And I, and granted, I knew they would. I knew they would. I love them. They're great. We've had Dr. Greg on before, but I needed them to convince me. And so I let them convince me and I let them convince you on how this is actually possible and creating this almost this Catholic mindfulness with our kids. Again, I love the fact that I'm having another guest on that's talking about something that I have never heard about inside the Catholic Church, ever, ever. So I cannot wait for you to listen to this. Without further ado, here is Greg and Barbara Batero. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, in fact, the very title of this piece of scripture says, do not be anxious. In fact, Matthew 6, verse 25 says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body or what you shall put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? And Jesus goes on for the entire time, all the way through verse 34. At the very end, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Jesus speaks in detail about this concept of being anxious or being overwhelmed with our life. And if you are a parent, you know that at a a, a very deep level, (laughs) 
with your children. And you don't have to have kids to be overwhelmed or to be anxious by any stretch of the imagination. We all know that. But Jesus speaks to this. And speaking to us today with the inspiration from that piece is Greg and Barbara. Greg and Barbara, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Sure thing. Great to be here with you. Hey, yeah, we're really excited. So happy to be on. Okay, so you guys are on, and we're, we're going to talk about something that <laughs> it definitely sparked my interest when I saw this. You guys co-wrote this book together, and it's called Sitting Like a Saint, Catholic Mindfulness for Kids. Yep. We did. Wow. Okay, and, you know, just to put some context around why I think this is such a big deal, I'm a new mom. I have four kids. I'm pregnant with my fifth. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Really pumped and excited and overwhelmed and happy and and shocked about the whole thing. Just really excited. (laughs) I'm every emotion in the book. But here I am. My oldest is five years old. My youngest is one. I'm pregnant with number five. And I am extremely interested in this topic of Catholic mindfulness. And Greg, you and I did a podcast already on a little bit on this topic and, and t- about a lot of different things that, that went on in that. It was so fun. I love that episode. But today we're having you both on to talk about this, this work that you've done together for the family and in particular for kids. And so when I hear sitting like a saint, I'm like, dear God, is this even possible? So I guess I want to start like, first off, Where did you come up with this idea about sitting like a saint? Well, so Leah, I don't know if you know this in talking to Greg, but, you know, our oldest, we have five. We just had our fifth one in April and our oldest is not even six yet. So we definitely are in the trenches with you. And, you know, when people ask their ages, we're like, you know, five, four, three, almost two and a newborn, you know? So we are like, we're really, we're in it. (laughs) Yes, I understand. This is no joke. But, you know, as you know, so Greg wrote The Mindful Catholic, and we both had always sort of wanted to write a children's book, and we had tossed around a couple of ideas. But, you know, unless it comes from the Holy Spirit, you can really try to fit like a a square peg into a round hole over and over again. And um, nothing just really stuck with us. And then... We were sitting down at our dining room table one day and he said, I want to write a children's book on mindfulness. And immediately this like cartoon picture of Teresa of Avila popped into my head. And I said, I know what it's going to be about. I know what it's going to look like. And we just sat down and it was like, you know, the Holy Spirit is fast. When you say yes, he is like right there. So we just played around with it for maybe like I don't know, four days, you know, in the kitchen, like, here's an idea, here's an idea. And it just solidified like almost overnight. And it turned out to be something we were really excited about and really proud of and um, really organic because in our parenting, especially since Greg is a psychologist, you know, we do a lot of like, all right, guys, I know that you're upset right now, but you can't hit. Let's take a deep breath. And so being able to put that with our our Catholic faith and to have it all just kind of come together in what we hope is a really fun and exciting and beautiful way was just tremendous. So that's sort of how it came about. I mean, I don't know if either one of us could really take full credit or even 50 percent of the credit. I think like the Holy Spirit was just like, here you go. You know, yeah, it was really fast. It was super fast. I love that. I've heard that from a variety of authors that sometimes when these inspirations come truly from the Holy Spirit, Uh he works quickly and that stuff gets written out and done faster than if you just like, you know, for me, some of my ideas like never make it. And that is definitely God's will. He's like, no, we are not going to print that idea, Leah. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, definitely been there. (laughs) Yeah, just like stop, just stop doing that and just wait till I give you something. And I think this was one of those things. And it was really fun to work together because, you know, Greg works obviously outside of the home and I work in the home. And so to be able to kind of like mold those two worlds together into a project that in the beginning, we said, if nobody even wants to publish this book, we'll be glad just to throw this together as like a reference for our kids. So the fact that it seems like 
there's a handful of people out there who like it is really exciting. I love that. Okay, so let's get out of the way in this initial piece right here as we begin some of the misconceptions of the book that some people may have. So some people may look at this and say, okay, here's a book. It's beautifully illustrated. It says, Sitting Like a Saint, Catholic Mindfulness for Kids. And they are thinking, great, this is not for me because my kid will never sit like a saint. They sit like a heretic in church half the time, if anything. (laughs) Um, They're insane. They're crazy. They're wild. I feel like I'm out of control. And I think more than likely that type of misconception comes from the feeling or sense of being overwhelmed and out of control in our life as a parent that happens from time to time. And so clearly this is a misconception. I know that. But how can we explain what is going on in this book and what you all have put together so it could maybe put some parents at ease when they approach this book, what it has to offer and what it could do for them and their family? Yeah, it can feel really overwhelming and kind of hopeless that we could actually have that kind of peace in our families with our children. And we're really in it as well. So having five under six, like we're really kind of proving the concept that it actually is possible. And there are certain principles that if we learn these principles and then apply them, things can actually change. And so we, you know, we go to church, we sit really close up front and we apply certain principles that most of the time our kids, people think we're like, we're like drugging them before mass because they really are sitting there really quietly and calmly. And it's nothing I could have anticipated happening, but knowing the principles and applying them really works. And so this book is is one manifestation of trying to articulate some of these principles and make them digestible for other parents. One of the principles is that parents don't realize how much of our own anxiety and overwhelm is actually creating an atmosphere that the kids are so perceptive of. They're so sensitive to our own emotional dysregulation that it often triggers so much worse behavior than needed to be there in the first place. And so the the process of sitting and reading to the kids, the exercises in this book is a two-edged sword, and it actually serves the purpose of calming the parents down as they're reading it to the kids. And so it's a, it's a neat way to do this, some self-regulation for the parents and then also give the technical techniques, the tools, the tricks that will help the parents communicate the need for calm to the kids. And then the kids really do pick up on it. And it's fun. There's the little stories from the saints' lives. Those are interesting and engaging. And especially if, if you're Catholic and you kind of already know some of these stories or, or the saints at least, it brings it all together. And then all of a sudden it works. And that's the greatest thing. We didn't really know if it was going to work for other people. (laughs) We're like, this is what works in our house. Let's put it out there. And we're just getting emails and calls and people are telling us all the time, I can't believe it. This is actually working for our kids. I think that self-help books and things, at least maybe I'm the only one that feels this way, but sometimes it feels like you're opening Pandora's box, right? Because how could you possibly take what's in that book that you know might be true and apply it to your life. And if you don't do it right, then all of a sudden you're a failure, right? And it's like mom guilt is always there and it's like totally overwhelming. And so, you know, I could totally see how someone can look at sitting like a saint and say like, nope, I'm not even going to touch it because I don't want, I don't want to fail. But what Greg is saying is really true. Like I sit down sometimes and I'm like, today is not going how I really wanted it to go. And if I don't put like this train to a complete halt, we are just going to go right off the cliff. So, Hey guys, we need to have a powwow right now. Like let's grab a book and we're going to sit down and, you know, it sort of helps just for me to get that five minutes of like, I'm just going to breathe now. And even if they decide like they're going to run around the room while it's happening, you know, you sit there and calm and they eventually kind of mimic what you're doing. We were away this weekend with my in-laws and I'm sure a lot of people know when you go to the grandparents' house, like all rule goes out the window, right? They're not necessarily eating like, you know, whole 30 anymore. They are like eating like (laughs) waffle sundaes for breakfast, right? you know, and then like chocolate for a snack and, you know, ice cream for lunch. And so I think by the time Sunday morning came around for church, they were just on another planet. And so we're sitting there all together and, you know, I've been doing Catholic mindfulness, obviously, 
and I don't do it perfectly. I don't do it all the time. And it's really bad since my husband is the person who, you know, you'd think is like the ultimate resource for it. So I should really be better at it than I am. But I'm sitting there in church and I thought like, all right, I have a three month old, it's nap time and he does not, he's not having it. I have a three year old who is hyped up on so much sugar and no nap. And I think I'm going to lose my mind. And so I sat there and I thought the only place that I know they're not going to get hurt is church. So I'm going to close my eyes right now and I'm going to take a couple deep breaths and I'm going to sit here and know that God loves me. And I'm going to use these principles of psychology to just calm myself down and then look at my three-year-old again in like a detached way so that I'm not fully enmeshed and taking everything personally, like he's out to get me, but to be able to look at him and say like, he's three, it's really hard to not take a nap for two days. It's really hard when your sugar levels all over the place. It's really hard to sit through an hour of mass when you don't understand what's going on. And to be able to be sort of compassionate with him. Now it's not to say that what he was doing was right, but I could understand it and not take it personally. And so in Catholic mindfulness, in mindfulness in general, there's, you know, this concept of like non-judgmental awareness, which really kind of means like detachment. And I really looked at that this weekend and said, like, I can be detached in a way that is loving, more loving than if I'm enmeshed with him and look at him and say, like, it's not great what he's doing, but I don't have to take it personally and I don't have to get revved up so that the calmer I am, I can speak to him in a calm way. Like, Hey buddy, you need to sit down right now on the pew. And instead of, you know, gritting my teeth, getting upset, thinking about all the ruminations, like everyone must be looking at me and this little gaggle of kids I have and how awful I'm doing. And which just leads to like a roller coaster of just like negative thoughts and guilt and which is then what stuff, makes them worse. Which makes them a lot worse, right? Yeah. So, you know, we had like a really, we had quite the ride home last night, like three hours in traffic after this like crazy morning, crazy weekend. Our littlest one threw up all over the car. It was like- <laughs> Normal it, life. It was normal. Right. Just a normal <laughs> Sunday. Just, just, no big deal. <laughs> but you know, like you can look at it and say like, this is the worst, or you can look at it and go, hey, wow, we're really doing this. And you know what? We're here for them. No one wants to be in this situation. Everything's actually okay. We're actually safe. God is actually there to like kind of laugh with us because it's so ridiculous and uh, it's all going to be okay. So I don't know, like sitting with this book, despite the fact that we, you know, like wrote it, we're not perfect at it. And it, it's something that you just keep practicing. I love it. Now, now this book, Sitting Like a Saint, it includes 14 stories of saints, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so could you give us an example, maybe like one of the stories, like one of your favorite ones, I don't know, just something that comes to your mind of, of like, what did you put in that book about that saint and the example that they can set for us and for our kids? You choose one of your favorites. One of my favorites. I love John Paul II. We have St. John Paul II in there, and he was known for laying prostrate in the morning for hours in contemplation before starting his day. And so the exercise is we have the kids in the morning actually lay prostrate on the ground. And then we give them a virtue or a word of the day. And it's a virtue that's going to be sort of their go-to practice word for the day. But while they're laying there prostrate, laying on the ground, that's when we're doing the actual exercise. We have them focus on that word. And then we come out of the exercise, go into the day, they're calm. And they also have a focus point so that we can return back to that throughout the day. So like maybe we would encourage them to use a word like calm or generous, you know, like when they throw things out like crazy, we're like, no, let's go back to the drawing board (laughs) on a word choice. We can kind of pick what what, like what each kid needs at that time. So like one of them might need to be working on generosity. The other one needs to work on patience because the baby's destroying Legos all day or something. But it's, it's a great start to the day. And that's wonderful. I'm listening and I'm astounded. I'm just like, I've never heard of this before. Yeah, it's really unique. Like Barbara said, it really was the Holy Spirit. I mean, we've practiced this stuff little bits and pieces in terms of, you know, the breathing exercises and the focusing on the body. And, you know, we start from the youngest age of just drawing attention to that. We are our bodies. And so, you know, whatever we do, we bring the body into it. And so we did this in little ways. But when we sat down to write this book, bringing the saints into it just unlocked huge reservoirs of creativity and each saint 
then became positioned around a specific exercise. And we could take little elements of that saint's life to flesh out, you know, different ways of practicing mindfulness. This completely deepens saint stories for kids. I mean, there are the same books for kids. There's saint dolls for kids. There's little charms and things you can attach to their book bags. They're wonderful. And I myself have probably fallen into the same thought of, I want to teach my kids about the saints so that when they're older, they can maybe act like them. <laughs> yeah. And I hate to admit it, but I think that's kind of this statement that I've never said, but I've been living out when it comes to the saints with my kids versus these are the saints they're alive in heaven, this communion of saints around us, and that we can start emulating them in these very good behaviors now that helps kind of do all of the groundwork and the foundation for those virtues to happen and to kind of root a little bit later as they get older. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, there's some awesome, awesome children's stuff on saints, right? And so, and there are like much more detailed and longer stories and and everything. And I think in some ways, because this is, these are exercises that bring their whole body into it, right? Kids are really tactile um, and they have a lot of energy and they need, they feel the need to move, right? So a lot of these exercises, it's not always just sitting. It's also like, let's stand up and do this. And, you know, like if you want to lay down, you can, kids need choice sometimes. So you can sit up, you can lie down, keep your eyes open, close them if it feels good. Like they need that choice. They need that movement a little bit, but at the same time, it's almost like, you know, do you ever make them like a smoothie and you kind of like hide the spinach with the grapes and the apple in the smoothie, right? Cause you want everything in there. But if you just hand them spinach, sometimes they just say no. Right. So it's sort of like, you know, if we just sat down and only did breathing exercises, it doesn't always keep them engaged. And if you sometimes just read, about saints to little tiny kids. They've never met them. They don't know them. Sometimes it's hard to keep that engaged too. So it's a book that kind of, it sort of does both, right? It keeps them engaged with their body, with their mind. Now they have sort of an idea about who these people are. So when they get a little bit older and we sit and we read a different book on, you know, that's more like a biography, they kind of are like, oh, wait, I remember that. I remember hearing about John Paul II. I remember when Teresa of Avila fell in the mud. So it's been a fun way to kind of introduce the littlest ones to this. To that point as well, you know, I think so much of our Catholic material is unintentionally disintegrated. And a lot of my work is bringing together the humanity part of our faith and connecting the dots between our faith in our emotional life and our psychology and really sort of understanding how people move and why we are inspired or how we feel what we feel, where we get motivation. And I think, you know, to your point about the way we raise our kids, like there are plenty of examples of children who have incredible faith. And if we look at like Dominic Salvio or like stories of St. Therese as a child, Pier Giorgio Frassati, I mean, in one sense, they're anomalies, but I don't think they have to be. Because when we learn as adults, simple little tricks that are consistent with our psychology, it's not as complicated as a lot of people in the church, I think, kind of assume it is. And it's by working with the way that God created us, it becomes easy. When we go against it or try to act like we're all angels walking around disembodied spirits or, you know, like the spiritual ideas or all that matter, then it gets really hard. Because we're only going at it at the idea of ideas and we're sort of dragging the body along behind. But when we come in through psychology, that's the mix of both where they overlap. So in this case, we're talking about developmental psychology, understanding child development and understanding the dynamic between parents and children. When we add these keys to the process, it unlocks incredible capacity that I think otherwise we're really struggling without. That really really speaks to me. Like from what you're saying, it seems that like we tend to overcomplicate almost everything. And especially when it comes to like our kids and trying to raise them in the faith, it feels like like we've already lost and we're just going to play defense 
this whole time because of the culture and the messages out there and the media and everything else. And granted, those are real challenges to say the least. But sometimes, like you said, like when you think about it, it probably is more simple than we even know. We tend to overcomplicate things, maybe because we've allowed too much influence of all these voices or, quote, experts out there to say that they're going to find something or fix something. And we're not going back to the source of who we are, who we've been made to be, God, our creator, and the path that he has for us to be holy men and women, wives and husbands, mothers and fathers to our kids. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think like Greg had mentioned earlier, you know, one of the most important things in raising kids is like just your own emotional regulation, right? And so Greg and I are constantly talking about that, barring everything else, because, you know, I tend to get bogged down with like, well, you know, if I lost that battle, am I losing the war? And I think that even in and of itself, that question is just another way that my mind is ruminating and not trusting in God and not just saying like, let me take a deep breath. Let me look at them for who they are. It's much simpler than I think it is. You know, like if we all just start from this place of like, calmness, regulation, everything's okay. I trust that God is holding me and that he wants the best for me and he wants the best for my kids. Like we're doing our best. We're all just doing our best. And, you know, I think that just simplifying it down, just boiling it down to like those basics really is helpful. It's like the Marie Kondo approach to parenting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I feel like I could go on a tangent. I don't know if I'm going to or not. But like that whole thing, though, maybe I am going to go on a tangent. Okay, I am. I'm going to do it. I'm going on the Marie Kondo tangent. I assume that I'm probably one of few people that just find this super annoying. This, it doesn't spark joy in my life. I must eliminate it right now. And I'm like, I can imagine Jesus being like, during the passion, this doesn't spark joy in my life. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna pass that cup. You know, you know what? You know what, Father? <laughs> um, this doesn't spark joy for me right now in this garden. I'm gonna just um catch a ride someplace else, or I, I'm just gonna put down this cross and book it. I mean, I am the Son of God. This doesn't spark joy. But this idea that we kind of run from maybe the complicated, we run from the suffering, we run from some pieces of life that we need to address. And we need to address properly, like you were mentioning, and how to regulate our emotions as adults, as parents. So instead of like denying that that's an issue, but like dealing with it, dealing with it, being self-aware to know that that is a problem that that you may have. And then how do we go about that? And I mean, I think that kind of gets into like this mindfulness for parents. Yeah. And so how do we do that? Could you maybe speak or like, I don't know, do you have any tips that you could give us or like things that we could at least chew on a little bit as parents, this state of mindfulness, this integrated mindfulness that that we need to kind of integrate into our lives so that we can also, in a sense, read the book with our kids sitting like a saint and it's going to impact us as well. Well, I'm going to give away the secret here because this is all about helping people in our conversions and growing in union with God. And it's only attainable through a path of suffering. People don't know this when they pick up the, the Sitting Like a Saint book for kids, but it's all about the parents accepting suffering in their life. And here, here's the challenging Doesn't that sound point. fun, Leah? <laughs> this is, Gee, this Greg, is what's in your so, cart right now. I'm so happy to have you back on the <laughs> right. podcast so Don't worry, again. I'll send you a free copy. You can, <laughs> if you don't want. <laughs> the positivity so, is radiating. But this is the point. And, you know, people look at this stuff and like, oh, that's foofy, that's new age. The sort of misperception is that we're sort of trying to lead these like really comfortable lives. But actually, we're, it's the opposite because what most people are doing is avoiding suffering or sacrifice or difficulty in their life. And by avoiding it, we make it worse. So here's the example. And this applies to parents as married couples as well as parents with their children. So if Barbara and I are in the middle of an argument. That never, and, that doesn't happen. Right. Well, so like, let's hypothetically say that, we're, we've never you know, that we had an argument. <laughs> and I feel really frustrated and I'm starting to get upset and I feel like, Barbara's not hearing what I'm trying to say, or I don't agree with her position. And these emotions are building up inside of me. It's a lot harder to sit with that, to take a breath into that instead of taking it out on her. To get rid of the feeling. So when I, yeah, when I get, when I want to like shout or get frustrated and I, you know, I, I cut her off 
while she's talking because I don't like what she's saying. All of those unhealthy styles of communication are really me being weak because I am avoiding facing the discomfort of what's building up inside of me. So if I really take my vocation seriously and ultimately a Christian vocation to, to be like Christ, to climb the cross, and in this case in marriage, to be a husband the way I'm called to be, I'm going to die to self in that moment. And I'm going to say, yes, it would be more comfortable for me to get rid of this feeling by cutting off Barbara's position, but I'm going to sit with it instead. And I'm going to deal with it. And then I can breathe into it. I can let the emotion subside. I can turn towards the discomfort instead of avoiding the discomfort. That's a mindfulness concept that's in my book, The Mindful Catholic. Well, when we apply that to parenting, it's the same thing. The kids are going crazy. You know, I'm in the car. Three kids are screaming. One kid just threw up. We're actually in bumper-to-bumper parking lot traffic on the highway. There's no end in sight. You know, I'm being filled with all sorts of crazy ruminations about just getting out of the car and walking away, (laughs) you know, whatever it is. Mm. And I just want to get out of this situation. But if I turn towards it in myself and sit with that discomfort, realizing this is not going to kill me. The way my brain is acting right now is as if I need to save my life, but it's not a life-threatening situation. And I can stand firmly in that present moment on the foundation of God's love. And I know that I'm safe and I know that everything's going to be okay. And he'll find a way to make sense of this. Then it's a different way to live and a different way to relate. And even in the midst of suffering, we find deep peace. And that's the paradox of the gospel is that we are actually talking about peace and even happiness coming together and weaving perfectly together with holiness. So if we put our faith into action on that level in our emotional life, then living with that faith in God is actually the easiest way to find peace and happiness in this life. And then, no surprise, our marriages get stronger, our parenting gets better, our kids are raised in a healthier environment, and they have the faith easier, and everything works in a much better way. Yes, this is so key, what you're saying. It seems so simple, but it's really not in terms of, I mean, it might be simple, but we have long abandoned this logic. We've long abandoned this beautiful path of faith within the human person of who we've been created to be to do this. It just, to me, it makes so much sense when you're saying it. There's so many notes that I'm personally taking about my own life and my own style of parenting that I need to adjust and have better mindfulness. Like I I think any parent can relate to what you just said about, you know, you're in bumper to bumper traffic and you're, the kids are strapped down and everybody's in a car seat and everybody's frustrated and angry and crying and somebody's puking. And I mean, mm-hmm. yes, I've been there and it can feel like a volcano is about to erupt. You're just so overwhelmed and you can't control. And it feels like in that moment where you can't control these other little tiny people, you go out of control. And it's so easy. And I've done it where I've dipped into that and and it's not made anything better. And I know that my frustration, I'm just taking up my frustration of the fact that I can't control something on my kids and that I've lacked that mindfulness that you just said. I mean, what you're saying right now is very helpful to me and just working on my own. I mean, it's not always easy to admit, but there's those things that we need to have. And I think for many of us, as you mentioned towards the end of what you were saying, of creating a home where we're teaching this to our children, like we're out and doing this ourselves as adults, as parents, we're teaching this integrated mindfulness to our children. And for many of us, you know, come from homes where this was completely absent mm. and this is completely foreign. So not only are we having to maybe learn something new, but we can, we all can do that. But what a beautiful gift we can give our kids. Cause we always want to say, I want to give my kids a better life than what I had. And we're all human. We all make mistakes. And so maybe we come from a great home, but there were still a few things that maybe you've noticed affected you in your life growing up that you want to make sure that you don't pass on to your kids because of maybe how they affected you. And this might be at the core something for many of us parents to pay attention to is maybe an awareness of was there mindfulness in your home growing up 
this sense of integrated mindfulness? And if not, could that be maybe the foundation of where other things happened, where maybe anger or rage or anxiousness, you know, um, anxiety maybe kind of reigned over a more calmer approach, at least. I mean, I think what you're saying is just can provide not just amazing tools and practices, because because truly, Barbara and Greg, like it will, it does. But what you are providing in your books, The Mindful Catholic, Catholic and Sitting Like a Saint, is truly healing for us parents and maybe helping our kids have a better grasp at their foundation for an integrated mindfulness. You know, I think that that's a, an awesome point. And I think, you know, Greg and I, let's go like super deep. Greg and I both come from families where our parents are divorced. And my sister actually was killed in a car accident when she was 17. And so that effect on my, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. on my mom was tremendous. And so there was a lot of anxiety in my house and that just sort of permeated everything, right? You think it's just going to start like, but you know, you don't want to lose another child, but it really permeates everything. And then when you grow up in that, that ends up really permeating everything for you and for your children. And so, you know, I am working really hard on not being like, oh my goodness, you know, they're running with a pencil. That's going to, you know, what if they fall on that pencil? Like there's a lot of that anxiety that creeps in. And you think that by having just a tremendous amount of anxiety that you're going to then protect them every minute of the day from everything. One, that's impossible. And two, when you're wrapped up in anxiety and your brain is totally flooded with anxiety, you can't be mindful. And so you end up forgetting, right? That like, okay, you're watching one kid in this room. You're worried about them running with a pencil. Well, you've forgotten that like your two-year-old is now have a box of matches in the, in the bedroom upstairs, right? So you have to be able to, to calm that anxiety and really be able to have a full awareness so that you're able to pick and choose your battles and be present to them so that your brain is not on constant alert and constant danger. Because when you're in that flooded state, you're not actually able to see what is actually dangerous and what isn't right. Like make that real decision on like, what is okay. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe they will fall on the pencil and what, okay. So they, you know, they get stabbed in the leg with like, with like a pencil, right. But they're not burning the house down. So hopefully that's not a choice you ever asked. No, no, no. But you know what I'm saying? They have like a little, you know, they have a little, you can evaluate it. They have like a little thing from a pencil, big deal, but like they're not running through the house with scissors, right? Like there are certain things that are actually something that you really need to worry about. And there are other things that like their kids, they're going to get hurt sometimes, but one, you can't prevent everything. And two, when you're totally drowning, you're not able to see it clearly and to help where you really are needed. And so we've talked about between the two of us where that actually becomes dangerous, where when you're so anxious that you're not able to prevent something that's truly dangerous, that's a real problem. So being mindful, being aware, resting in God's love, resting in the trust that you have that everything's going to be okay, even if the worst happens, is able to kind of put you, excuse me, back in a place of like clear thought. I think it's a difference between living like there's a hundred different fires to put out. You're just constantly racing from fire to fire. Yeah. And Leah, to your point, I think that's, if you grow up in an environment like that, and you see that's what your parents are living like, and that's what they're doing, then that's all you're going to know. And in fact, a lot of those times you're the fire, as the child. Yeah. And then that really messes with your identity and your sense of being loved and, you know, a sense of, of protection and being safe. And, and goodness. Then it's really hard to break through. That's why these are all exercises. That's why this is not just a book. And even the first book, it's really important that people do the exercises because just simply telling somebody, don't you know you're a child of God? He's going to take care of everything. That's not enough. That is that same disintegrated Catholicism that's like, oh, now I'm going to be moved by an idea. Oh, now I know that I'm a child of God. Of course, now everything should feel better. It doesn't work that way because we have parents and we live in a society where those realities are not given to us through experience. Perfect. So perfectly. So the exercises bring us into the experience. We are motivated by the principles, by the ideas but then we sit with it and actually turn towards what's going on inside of us. And that's what breaks open the channel from the head to the heart. 
And that's how we can start to live differently when we actually put these things into practice. Mm-hmm. I love these conversations. I love these conversations. These are so good because we're taking something, obviously, in the beginning, we're talking about this book, saying like a saint, and you go deeper and we see very clearly what's behind this, why we really need this. It's not just this book you would sit down and read with your kids, but like you said, these are exercises to do with your children for ourselves and them. And Greg, you had said this a while back, is you know, the main point is is to point people to our salvation, to Jesus Christ. And his salvation is for us so that we can be healed from our own sinfulness, from our own mistakes, from just everything that involves with original sin. And this is so beautiful. Like I said, like for me, and maybe it's just a personal thing, I just see this as such a beautiful healing place for us as parents to go to. And I think what you were hinting at just in what you both were just saying is this element of surrender where you're not having to put out a million fires. You can kind of surrender all the fires yeah. You can surrender all those fires to Christ and you can be more present to the right now with your kids. Yeah. Around here, we call it a day of low expectation. And um, it's amazing when you wake up and you, you know, you might have a list of stuff you need to get done, but when you take it as like a day of low expectation, right? You don't expect your three-year-old and your four-year-old and your five-year-old, they're not going to argue over one toy, even though they have, you know, three of them, they're going to argue over the one that they want. So when we have this day of like, we're just going to kind of coast through the day in a mindful way, checking things off as we go on our list, because sometimes you have to get things done. It, but just like you kind of just throw out this, like these expectations of being perfect, these expectations of like, of the kids acting perfectly, of you acting perfect. It magically all goes so much more smoothly. And, um, the, our best days are our low expectation days where I don't feel this tremendous pressure to be perfect and do perfect and put that on the kids. And when our anxiety is gone from this expectation of being perfect, everyone is happier and more peaceful. And it, it's just like, it's much more beautiful. And you sit back and you realize like why you had all these little tiny kids and the joy that they bring to your life and the way that they make everything better. And the beauty in parenting, the beauty that comes from like this suffering that really like, you know, you're thrown into this fire and you come out a lot better and a lot more pure. And, uh, all of that is, is much more clear when you're able to just like take a breath and take a step back from it and you're not in over your head, you're not in the volcano, you're not exploding and you're not wishing for something different. You're just accepting everything as it is. It's like you put on a pair of glasses and you can see again. It changes everything. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it should, right? Yeah. If you change, you know, your worldview, if you change your of how you actually look at the world and look at the people that you've been given to love and to care for and to get to heaven, that should change. That absolutely should do that. I love this. Now, for many of our listeners, we got about good half and half. Half of our listeners are there. They're right along with us. They are in the trenches with us. They've got the kids, variety of ages, but they get this. This is like hitting home of what they could do right now. But for those listeners who'd love to be able to have kids and, you know, will hopefully, God willing, one day, but they're just not there yet. Could you just, I would love to have you back on to talk about this topic. It deserves its own episode, truly. But I just kind of want to like figure out what you think or say about this idea of mindfulness and dating. Hmm. So for those single ladies single guys out there who are listening, this is for you. Like, how do you take this integrated mindfulness and apply it to this time of your life when when you are searching for the one? I'm going to let you do what you do best, but I want to say one thing about it. (laughs) The one thing I want to say is I think that the most mindful way that you can date is to not quote, like search for the one, right? Because you want to be, and maybe you're going to disagree with me, but you want to be, you don't want to lower your expectations, right? And at the same time, there is at least some anxiety with that searching for the one, right? That means any date could be the one. And you hope that every date is the one because you're really tired of dating. So I think that when you take that anxiety out of it and you start to look at, you're able to see these people that you meet 
and actually see their dignity and who they are as individuals, that actually opens up the door to people that maybe you didn't expect to be the one, right? Like when Greg and I first started dating, he did not meet any of the check marks that I had on my list. And he's a great, great guy. But my anxiety was like, I'm going to find the one, I'm going to find the one. And I kept trying to force it. And when I just opened my eyes and was able to just take a breath and to take a step back in a real mindful way, you just sort of start to see people and their true dignity. And when you do that, I don't know, it kind of gives you this new perspective again. I fully agree with you. <laughs> Barbara, you and I could talk about this absolutely a lot. <laughs> Greg, you're going to get your time here, but this, it's so true, right? It's when, when you become more of you, you're able to see the beauty and the gift of all people and who God's made them to be. And, and you have that sense of joyful surrender to the process mm-hmm. because of that great self-awareness that you have about yourself. So, okay, I a thousand percent agree with you. Okay. Greg, you have the floor. What do you sure, think sure. about this? It's really just interesting <laughs> to me right now because some I do some work on masculine and feminine genius, and I'm just listening here and seeing the genius of the femininity here. The the first the primary focus is on relationship, and when, the first thing that comes to my mind are principles. <laughs> so <laughs> thinking like really abstractly here, but it, it is really kind of like this integrated life. If you're dating, you know there have to be principles that you're bringing into your life, and that's. You know, when we started dating, when I was dating and I met Barbara, I, we were actually dating online and um, or we were we met, know, we met we met online, online. Mm-hmm. and I had certain rules. I had like a whole series of rules for online dating that I was following religiously for like six months. And by putting these principles into place, I trusted the process that I had discerned and reasoned to. And, you know, dating is the perfect time to be really learning how to do this well and putting into practice how to trust God, how to live an integrated life, how to really let go of our own ways of thinking and seeing things. Because there's, I mean, it's going to get harder when you're married and then even more difficult when you have children. And it's it's just so good to have a head start on that now. Yes. And that goes across the board. Obviously, I talk to single people about that with relationship with God in general, you know, developing intimacy with God that's the beauty and the gift of being single as you have all this time to really devote to developing that intimacy with God. Well, connected to that is trusting God and connecting to that is, is having an emotional disposition of low anxiety when it comes to really knowing that God is in charge. So, you know, the fear that I'm not going to find the right person may feel overwhelming for somebody who's single, but it is nothing and anybody married is going to agree with this compared to the kinds of fears and anxieties that can creep in once you get married. Oh, amen. Especially if it's the wrong person. Well, that's what I mean. That might be the fear and anxiety. Like there are fights that are conflicts or different times where you're like, oh man, like, did I make a mistake? Like you don't feel like that. that. But just just (laughs) speaking generally or across the board, the emotions and the mind can go to very dark places. No, I know. I'm joking. That's really true. Just to speak quickly to that and I have said this before on my podcast. I okayed it with Ricky before, so I could, he was all right with it. But I remember that first year of marriage with me and Ricky. And I remember because marriage is very hard and difficult, and there's a lot of suffering in it, good suffering, but it is truly suffering at times. There were these times where I, and granted, I know this was an influence of like, evil and everything else. But I had those thoughts of, oh my gosh, we're having a problem. There's major conflict. What if I made a mistake? Yeah. yeah. What if I married the wrong person and I made a fully conscious decision with my faith? You know, annulment, not a question. Right. Do I this just suffer for the, for the next however long I live or he lives until this is over? And I mean, those are the crazy thoughts that can happen when you're in a marriage. And praise be to God for our faith and the sacraments because it can ground you when you're not grounded. And I think those are the real things that go on that can happen and I think happen more often than not if we really want to admit them and praise God you were through that and I know those are silly thoughts and praise be to God I did marry the right person that can be a reality for some but those things can happen those are stresses and anxieties that we can face in marriage yeah absolutely and I think too like if you are so anxious about finding the one that it clouds who they are 
and it clouds who you are, then the chance of marrying the wrong person is actually a real thing, right? If you are so anxious about, I have to get married, I have to get married, I have to get married, and that's it. You're, you have these blinders on. You're not able to see the person for who they are for, you know, and where you're coming from. And you have to deal with that afterwards. Right. And, and that, make, you know, that's going to be even a bigger sacrifice. That's a real thing. And then all of that anxiety is nothing compared to the things that enter your mind and heart when you have kids. And now you're afraid of actually losing human beings who are under your care. They could actually die. Or you screw them up. Or, or yeah, psychologically mess them <laughs> up or whatever. So you know, the point is dating is a great time to practice trusting God. And even though it feels like it's a really big deal, that's a relative feeling that's going to only grow. And so that's why it's just an awesome, beautiful time to grow in all of that and practice it. And Mm -hmm. this could be a whole nother episode, but it's definitely, you know, there are principles to follow. You know, one of these principles is I said to Barbara when, before I proposed to her, my parents are divorced. Your parents are divorced. That's the language that we were taught. I said, if we get married, there will come a time when I want to divorce you. Isn't that romantic? <laughs> so, I was and, like, put a ring on it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> but the principle there is very simple. It's that this is what my brain knows. This is what it's been trained. The idea will cross my mind. But the point is, I can make a decision that that will never be allowable. And so just so you know, where I'm coming from and what I need to know you're coming from is that even if those thoughts cross the mind and who knows what kind of dark thing could happen in the future, it even gets spoken out loud. Mm-hmm. That will never be an option. And that's just right off the bat, the, the first step to even discerning this is actually going to be who I marry. But that's a principle. And then putting that into practice is a way of integrating my faith with my life and the way that I actually work it out and, and live it out. And then that's where the happiness comes from. And it's, I don't think there's any more beautiful way to live. No, I don't think anybody would disagree with you. I love it. Mindful dating has to be another episode. Can I rope you in again? Can I put you on the spot again on another podcast and have you back? (laughs) Sure. This is what I do with Dr. Greg here. He gets on and instead of like asking him off the air, I'm like, could you just say right now if you'll do it? (laughs) (laughs) Now you got both of us. You're roping both of us. Right. (laughs) And I'm going to contact Barbara if you forget. So that's what we'll do. We've got to. There's so many gems in what you're saying. And I know people want to go deeper, but... We will have to save it for another episode at this point. Now, for what we're talking about, though, today, for this mindful parenting and, and you know, with our kids, God willing, sitting like a saint, what challenge could you give us today to implement that? Going off of what we talked about, I think find one day this week to make it a day of low expectations. Yes. I was going to say something similar to that. Um, and if you just do... One exercise for it one day. That it doesn't week. matter what you eat that day. It doesn't matter what the kids look like. It doesn't matter what they get into. It doesn't matter what they draw on the walls. It doesn't matter. Like basically low expectations just means like drop out all your expectations. But start with a powwow, as I call it around here. You just sit down. Yeah, with even one if of the exercises. With one of the exercises. Even if, you know, some of them are running around, some of them are not. Anyone protests, great. Let's just sit down. Kids love to be read to. I'm going to read this. Well, well, not everybody has a book. They could go to, uh, we actually have sittinglikeasaint.com. And there are a couple of sample exercises on the website. Oh, yeah, perfect. So if somebody doesn't have the book, they can still go there and get the exercise to use. Absolutely. And we'll also put the link in the show notes for you to grab the book because you're going to want to grab the book. You should grab this book for yourself, especially if you have kids. If you know somebody with kids, you should grab the book and you should get give it to them. This would be a fantastic gift too. I'm just thinking I have a lot of people in my life right now who are expecting their first kid. And awesome. this would be a great place to start. I mean, in my opinion, we should be replacing what to expect when you're expecting with the mindful Catholic and sitting like a saint. <laughs> Because that will do you better than what's inside those books, in my personal opinion. So there you go. We'll put those all those links in there for you to get. And then also the website for you to grab those exercises before your book comes to you. You can start doing that right now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Leah. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. But thank you, Barbara, Greg, you guys are amazing. Praise be to God for you and your marriage and your kids and all the good work you're doing for us and for the kingdom. Totally mean that, a thousand percent serious. You really are doing something beautiful. It's so fantastic. You take these beautiful tenets of what God has worked in your life and what he's doing and you're sharing it with us. So thank you for being so generous. 
Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for praying for us and for giving us this platform as well. And, and, it's uh, been a blast. You're a blessing as well. Thank you. Thank you amen, so much. Amen. Amen. And thank you, my fantastic listeners, the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Thanks to all of my new patrons from uh, the Do Something Beautiful Patreon page. I am so excited. I have a couple shout outs here that I want to get through here before we wrap up. These are great. So excited to have you on the team, the Do Something Beautiful team. We have Kara from Kansas City, Missouri, Catherine from New York, Father Michael from California, Valeria from Texas, Claire Elizabeth from Chicago, and Will Herman from Bloomington, Minnesota. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you on my team. If you want to become a patron of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, go to patreon.com slash Check it out. Happy to have you on the team with us. And remember, whatever you do today, whatever you're going through, wherever God leads you, do something beautiful for him. God love you. God bless. And I'll talk to you later. Bye.